Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ES Audio. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Fuller's London Pride, an outstanding amber ale and the official beer of Premiership Rugby. And don't forget, you can now watch the full extended video podcast of today's show at londonpridebeer.co.uk. Support with pride and please drink responsibly. Lawrence Delalio's Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride, the official beer of Premiership Rugby. Hello, I'm Lawrence Delalio. Welcome to my rugby podcast. As always, I've got a fantastic, stellar lineup of guests who I'm delighted to welcome onto this week's pod. First up, it's uh, Evening Standards sports journalist Will McPherson. Also joining us, uh, when I say stellar guest, one that I'm a huge fan of, not just because he plays for Wasps or his son is called Enzo, but it is, of course, Jack Willis. And from Cherry Jam, a Gloucester rugby supporter, Ed Price. Um, so welcome to you all. We've got lots to talk about following another action-packed weekend, obviously the final uh, regular season roundup of Premiership games. But I want to start by obviously having a chat with Jack. Jack, you, you know, it's, it's great to have you on the pod. We'll get on to the Leicester Wasp game in a bit, but I am pleased to say that you did manage at least one win over the weekend, or so I've been told anyway, because you, you got first prize in your dog training, which uh, yeah. uh, at your local village fair. So basically, yeah, you I've, lost the game, but you went home to pick up your rosette, did you? <laughs> Mate, I was very proud of my little dog, Dash. Yeah, I got egged on to do it by my family. Um, we went down to the local fair. It was a Jubilee celebrations and uh, started to get a little bit competitive, even though it was sort of a few seven or eight-year-olds stood there with their dog. But Have you got your dog, uh, Dash? What is he, top, top jackler or top ball carrier? <laughs> What's his primary skill? Keep away from rugby, mate. Yeah, don't want him getting hurt. So, uh, yeah, a few different tricks. Bit of, yeah, sit and stay and a, few, a little spin and lie down. But, yeah, blew the judges away, mate. So, uh, yeah, I was very proud. Well, listen, well done to you. Getting straight down to business, you've had a fairly challenging 18 months or so. In fact, you've had a fairly challenging first half of your rugby career, if I'm honest. You know, like most people, you know, it's full of highs and lows. You've had to work really hard to come back from the second injury that you had in the Six Nations last year. I think in that time, you've become a father, um, called your son Enzo, like my son, by the way, just so we're clear. So our our careers are running in parallel here at the moment. So I'm thinking there's great things uh, coming down the line for you, my friend. I hope so. But, um, you know, you're back in Eddie Jones's England training squad and... You, uh, I think you're building up towards that game against the Barbarians. So listen, well done on, on all of that. But I think what you know, a lot of people would like to know is throughout all that time, and you had that double injury in the first place to your knee and your ankle, then you had the knee injury in the Six Nations. How have you managed to keep a positive mindset 
because there must be some really tough moments in that year and a half, right? Yeah, well, I think the honest answer is you don't necessarily always keep keep a positive mindset. I think there's days where you quite literally have to drag yourself into the training ground doing the same rehab session for the 20th time in the same room. Um, no matter how incredible the facilities are at the training ground, you spend that much time in there doing rehab, it becomes pretty mundane. But for me, something that's always, always really been key is leaning on the people around me. I'm very lucky to have my brother at the club, so he He's someone that I spend a lot of time with and, and lean on a lot. A few of the lads as well. And then mainly my girlfriend, Megan, has been incredible. As well as my family listening to me moan away day in, day out during my rehab and a shoulder to cry on, really. There was definitely some ups and downs. But I think one thing you never forget, no matter how long you're out for, is how much you love playing rugby. I think even when you come back, it's sort of a realisation on top of that, how much you did love it. But I think deep down, you know that no matter how long this goes on for, um, I want to make sure I get back out on that pitch. And my mentality now, it, I, I'm definitely grateful for every every minute I get out there. I think it definitely was tough the other week for one of our lads, Elliot Stook, bless him. He's been incredible for us all year and, and goes down and breaks his leg. And it's one of the first times I've actually been involved in a game where it wasn't me going off in a stretcher and seeing the other side of it. It's a ruthless game, isn't it, rugby? You, you go off in a stretcher down the tunnel and you just don't know what, what awaits. You have to try and refocus yourself into the, the rugby mindset and it takes a little while. And when you know you're going to be out for a long period of time and, and just so listeners know, I mean, I sustained a similar injury to Jack. Um, when you know you're going to be out for a long period of time, you know, you talked about Megan and your home life. You've obviously had a, a boy, Enzo, which is a life-changing moment, regardless of any injury. Are you able to sort of try and switch off from having all of those distractions, if you like, uh, nice distractions at home to do give you a slightly different perspective? I mean, I remember... I used to come back from games and my wife, she's not into rugby in any way whatsoever. And she'd look at me and say, you know, how'd it go? I said, yeah, pretty well. She goes, did you win? I said, yeah. She said, you don't look like you won because I'd have stitches down the side. <laughs> and she said, did, did you score a try? I said, no, I didn't score a try. And then she go, oh, we well, couldn't have played that well then. Yeah. <laughs> Throw me one of the kids. But yeah. I think having had all those distractions for you, has that been a kind of a, a really good thing because, you know, you, you can hopefully switch off a little bit from that whole recovery, come back. and Because yeah. everywhere you go, everyone's saying, how's the knee? When are you going to be back? And you just don't want to hear that when you walk in the door, do you really? No, it probably got harder and harder to go to games at the Rico and have those same questions. And there was a couple of points just before Christmas in sort of December, early December, where I didn't know when I was going to be back. It got to a point where I was like, I don't, this isn't going to plan at the moment. I'm having a few hiccups. I don't really know the answer to it. So every time I got it, it hurt a little bit. But yeah, you're spot on with what you say. You get home and uh, it was a big turning point for my rehab, really. I think when I was struggling November, December time, I was getting home and you just think about it 24-7. You lie there, you're sweeping your knee to check for swelling. It's sore, you're getting up, you're icing. Whereas just before Christmas, Enzo's born and all of a sudden it's absolute mayhem. And, and we've, uh, yeah, you, you complete distraction. You get in the door and you just want to say hello to him and, and help out where you can. And I think, I'm not saying to anyone who's injured that you have to have a baby in order to keep a positive <laughs> attitude because <laughs> believe me, there's other challenges as well, like no sleep. But um, he's been incredible for me and, and for Megan. It's just given us such a, a positive focus and, and a real motivation to get back out on the pitch brilliant just going back to your, your injury you were very brave I think to uh, produce a, a documentary kind of road to recovery for your ACL injury 
I mean, some people were quite curious about that. Obviously, you're of a, an age where the content and social media and all of that is kind of part and parcel of your life. But did you do that deliberately to help your recovery? I, d- I don't think you did it for commercial reasons. I think it was more just sort of cathartic, was it? Yeah, I think when I sort of started it off, I thought, you know what, I'm going to need something to motivate me a little bit differently this time for my rehab. I also I remember coming back from my first injury and I think a lot of people don't understand what you go through when you get injured. They see you get wheeled off in a stretcher and then suddenly see you with a bib on coming off the bench nine months later and think that you've just been sat at home. And I remember coming back from my first injury and people said, oh, have you?" when I was coming back, this is for my first game back, they were like, oh, have you been into training and seen the lads or is it you just back? And I was like, <laughs> do you genuinely think I've just been sat at home for, for nine months? For me, I was like, you know what, I want to show the ups and downs of rehab. The other side of it doesn't just affect me. It affects my girlfriend, my family, teammates around me. There's a whole sort of backstory to injuries. It's not just, yeah, get the operation and and sit and wait. Um, There's a lot that goes through it mentally more than physically most of the time. And just wanted to show that other side to it, really. Yeah, listen, it it was fascinating. And I think, look, hopefully it becomes a source of inspiration for people who, dare I say, it might have to go through a similar journey that you have. Listen, you've been part of a fairly exclusive group of players who've been able to play alongside a sibling in the same rugby club, which is highly unusual. I mean, I guess the Curry brothers spring to mind, but you and your younger brother, Tom, uh, made your premiership debuts for Wasps. He made it a year after you? or um... Yeah, I think I, I his first game was my first start. So I played a few games earlier on in the, the year before and stuff. But yeah, it was yeah, yeah. about a year ago. Listen, I, I'm, a, I'm a massive fan of, of his as well as yours. I genuinely believe, I know there's lots of number eights that we keep talking about, including yourself, but I think he's got every chance of, of progressing along that same path. I mean, obviously you're brothers, that's never going to change, but playing together in the same team, does that make it even more competitive? How does it change the relationship between the two of you? I think, yeah, in training, we certainly get pretty competitive. If we're put on opposition teams in training, we start to get quite niggly at each other. And uh, like you, to, you remind him of who the older brother is, yeah? Yeah, always always make sure I dominate him. He's, yeah, I've got to stay on top, don't I? Even though he is about six kilos heavier than I am and a few inches taller, but he still knows his boss, I think. But yeah, I feel very lucky to be able to play alongside him. I think there's a few moments that have stood out to me. One being that obviously the premiership final we played in a couple of years ago wasn't quite how we all pictured it with COVID and no fans being there, but to actually stand there on the pitch and take in the fact that we're playing in a premiership final when maybe seven, eight years before that, we're sat down with our dad in the lounge, ready to watch a premiership match, thinking, look how cool that is. Imagine being part of that. And you kind of need to take a step back to appreciate those moments. And this year, the the back row has been pretty competitive at Wasps as well. So every opportunity that him and I get to play together is, is one that we sort of cherish. And at Leicester at the weekend, I thought he went quite well. And and hopefully going on to on to next season, we'll have a few more games games together. Yeah, listen, it's uh, it's magnificent. I think that, you know having the two of you in tandem there. Um, look, you've managed to get at least three England caps. I think I'm, uh, I've got a terrible memory, so I hope I've got that yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, before your injury against the Italians, I know that you've worked your way back and you've been playing, I think, pretty solidly for Wasps. I mean, it doesn't help when Wasps aren't getting the results that you or they would want. But do you focus on that? Or I mean, you're back in the training squad with Eddie Jones, which is brilliant news. And I thought he was quite quick to bring you back as soon as you were fit again, almost as a way of sort of saying, look, you know, you are back to where you deserve to be. Are you focusing on that, getting your England jersey back? Or, or you, I know you're too humble to say you are, but um, are you just taking it one step at a time? I mean, I used to send my mum into bat, really, and say, <laughs> yeah, 
because I think the England coaches were more terrified of my mother than they were of anyone. Really. So <laughs> she, she would be very quick to tell every England coach that, you know, what you really need to do is just, um, you know, put my son straight back in the team. <laughs> I mean, that could be, it's not, like it's it not working because everyone else seems to be very scared to tell Eddie Jones what to do. So uh, maybe you need to send your mum in and, and, uh, and she'll, she'll set them straight. But just going back to the question, are you focused just on, on each wash game or would you hope to be part of this England team that plays against the Barbos? Yeah, coming back from injury, I think the first couple of weeks, I was like, just come through it and unscathed and enjoy it, play with a smile on your face. And then you play those first couple of games and then you're like, right, I'm back to business now. I've got to start to try and perform. Yeah. So I knew what I knew, all the different bits that I'm, I'm trying to focus on working on and, and each game go after those areas. And hopefully, slowly, my sort of jackal confidence will, will pick back up, which I feel like it. Oh, no, has. listen, anyone who's watched you play, I think now, I don't think there's any issues there. It's been phenomenal. Do you realistically, and this would be an interesting one for Wasps as well, because having spent most of the season getting you back fit, they're obviously keen to keep you fit. And, you know, we've just seen a number of players like Man who's dropped out of the England tour because he's got to have an operation. Henry Slade has just had an operation. Is it realistic for you to go to Australia or are you kind of going, whoa, whoa, hold on a minute. This is a proper conversation for my club, for me, for Eddie to have together and say, you know, given how long I've been out, should I be actually going the other side of the world and playing test rugby? For me, if I was given that opportunity, I'd, I'd take it with both hands. It, the, the weird thing for for me, the last week after the Leicester game, um, the weekend just gone, it, it felt like I've only just really got going. I've been out for so long and to only play sort of the second half of the season or a bit less than that, I'm chomping at the bit for more, really. My, my knee's feeling good. My match fitness has got to keep improving. It's something I've got to keep chasing. When you're out for that long, it doesn't just come back after a few games. So for me, if I was lucky enough to be invited on tour, I would take the opportunity opportunity with both hands but yeah I've got I've got an opportunity at the mini camp this week to, to try and impress and that's sort of as far as I'd look into the future for now it's just about taking each session as it comes just talking of Eddie I mean obviously you know rugby fans you know have got different ideas but because they read what's reported they don't get to see the guy up close I mean do you as a player have a, a good I mean does he phone you regularly I mean I'm like to think you know whilst you're unavailable he still might pick up the phone every now and again and say how's the rehab going he was obviously picked up the phone to invite you back into the camp you know you're back on the WhatsApp group I'm assuming uh, how does the relationship work uh, without giving away anything that might upset anyone yeah, and I had a, had a couple of check-ins from Eddie, which was really nice of him during my rehab. But obviously the main focus is the squad that are going into any of the major tournaments. And for me, I knew I just needed to focus on getting the knee right and try and get back into the frame. But yeah, Eddie's been great. Any any opportunity I get, I'm, I'm very grateful for. And they've got an incredible setup there and, and you learn heaps. So I just want to be part of that as much as I can, really. Um, listen, just finally, I know you missed out on, on the Champions Cup for Wasps. You probably blew, you're finishing ninth. You probably blew it against London Irish, if I'm honest with you. I nearly broke my TV watching that game. Um, it's been a tough season for you guys with a lot of injuries across the whole squad, yourself included. Just give us a quick idea about what the mood's like in the camp. We've got two big tight heads coming next season. So as a back row forward, the mood must be quite quite good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, look, we've lost a, a lot of players at the end of this season. A lot of lads out of contract moving on and some big players within that, which is always a shame. But with the salary cap squeeze now at the moment, the way it is, it's, it's always going to be the case. You can't hold as big a squad as you used to be able to. We've made a couple of great signings that'll be really exciting as you say a couple of great tight heads coming in and, and that'll be interesting to see how they go and for us 
I was really disappointed at the weekend to not get more out of the game. I think we let in a really soft try first phase, first 10, 15 minutes. I can't remember quite exactly how early on it was, but I think we could have put a better account of ourselves out there to finish the season. I genuinely believed that we let ourselves down and lost that game rather than Leicester going to win it, in my opinion. I think we showed some real dominance in a lot of areas and then... Yeah, you certainly yeah, played well up front. I'd, I'd have been having some serious words with the back line, just saying, guys, you know, we're playing well here and you're butchering everything. <laughs> <laughs> sort your shit out, otherwise we're not going to give you the ball anymore. But anyway, listen, I won't dwell too much on that. Ed... Please chime in if you've got a quick question for Jack and, and Will the same. Yeah, so Jack, I mean, the question from me, I suppose, is you mentioned actually about salary cap and the pressure now on the players. There's a lot of players that have gone out of contract and are struggling to get clubs. Is that something that's starting to creep into conversations between, you know, in the squad that, you know, there's a lot of pressure on you guys now? It's not something that we necessarily chat about too much within the playing group. I think everyone's aware of it. I'd imagine for some clubs, there's a frustration with trying to manage the salary cap. You're trying to manage a squad that used to get paid a certain amount and now pay it this amount. And you look at sort of how the European competitions have gone with sort of France with an unlimited salary cap. I'm not sure that's quite the way to go either, but there's always got to be a bit of a balance, hasn't there? So as a player, you've just got to make sure you're giving your all to try and perform and keep the clubs interested. But we're definitely seeing now a lot more players that three years ago would have been given another contract that are now, unfortunately, the way the squads have been squeezed, they're, they're having to move on. And it really is quite sad to see, um, in all honesty, because there's players that genuinely, in my opinion, would deserve another contract and probably, in the club's opinion, deserve another contract, but they just don't have the money for it. And that probably plays into the other question around the Championship League, because there isn't necessarily the depth in our Championship for those players who are very good quality players to drop down. But that's another conversation. Will, before we move on to the weekend's rugby action, quick question from you. Yeah, Jack, I was wondering whether you felt like this has been the kind of most difficult and competitive Premiership season since you've been involved at Wasps. I mean, you look at the table and Wasps finished ninth, but I think you're about as far off in terms of points, similar distance from fourth to tenth. There's been that logjam of teams that have all been in the mix for Champions Cup. You've obviously missed out, but also not that long ago, you would have had playoff ambitions as well. So is that how it's felt to you? Definitely. I think when I first started, there'd probably be two or three games in a season where you could go, yeah, we're going to be coming away with five points here. There's not one game, whether you're home or away now, where you're like, we're definitely getting five points. It's just not the way it's been. I think everyone's got such a competitive squad. There's so many games to play that teams have to manage their squads as well throughout a season. And I think, yeah, you're, you're definitely seeing one of the most competitive years of rugby that, that I think we've ever seen. And as you say, it, it was crazy a few weeks ago. You're going back and going, right, if we win this weekend, we're in the top four. If we lose, we're ninth or tenth. You're thinking, how can that actually happen? But it breeds some exciting rugby to watch, doesn't it? Totally agree with you on that front. Okay, listen, we're going to turn our attentions to the results at the weekend. Ed, I'll start with you down at King's Home. George Skivington, ex-WASP player, said he wanted to finish the season on a high and say thank you to the Gloucester fans. I mean, obviously, there has been that reconnection with the Shed and with the Gloucester fans and the community. And there's no doubt that he's building something pretty special there. But I think given that five weeks ago, you had the opportunity to win three trophies and then you've ended up with nothing. Uh, is there a sense of slight anticlimax that you haven't managed to make the playoffs? Yeah, I think the playoffs, certainly. We always knew that the Challenge Cup and the Premiership Cup were always going to be a bit of a struggle. I think clearly Worcester targeted it in the Premiership Cup and fair play. That's their first major trophy so you've got to give them credit for that. The Challenge Cup was always going to be a struggle. I've spoken to a couple of the players subsequently and they know they got taught a bit of a lesson against Saris. They were a much better side than us on the day and we really, really struggled. 
the key defeats in the last couple of weeks was Bristol away, losing a lead in the last seconds, and then obviously the second half performance against Quinn. So George Gibson was entirely right. Ending the season on a real high, there was always that possibility that Newcastle could do us a favour. Unfortunately not. Uh, but finishing fifth, when you consider where we were this time last year, it's a huge improvement. And you mentioned the reconnection with the shed and the club. I mean, a lot of it has to do with George Givington. And we on the pod, we were a little bit hesitant and the results weren't going our way and there were some big hammerings in there as well and I think sometimes you know we have to own up and we have to say we probably judged it a bit too soon and the way that they've gone about their business this year first of all from that driving mall and the pack really exerting a lot of influence and I know Jack will probably have felt this as well. Although actually, interestingly, was one of the very few clubs who really did stop our driving mall down at King's Home. So got to give him a bit of credit there. But, but what's been really, really pleasing has been the, the development over the last few weeks of the bat play and some fantastic tries. So we're all very much of the opinion that, yes, it would have been wonderful to get into that top four. I think the gap between the top three and the rest is quite significant. So it would have been a real achievement probably even to get to the final. But for fifth, I think this year, we Champions Cup rugby next year, I think really that's probably where we all thought that would be a really good end of the season for us. I think what people have to appreciate is that, you know, when you take over a squad as a coach, a new coaching group, to recalibrate that squad in the, in the current financial salary cap restraints, you know, you can't wave a magic wand and suddenly turn your team around. He's been there two seasons now and I think when he gets the opportunity to maybe add one or two players within the cap into what is already an incredibly talented squad with young academy players then I think you can start to mount a serious challenge on the teams above you you know that kind of thing doesn't happen overnight but listen I, I think you know I would agree with you I think Gloucester are going very very well indeed Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Will, Harlequins, a bit of a funny old game against Exeter. They couldn't improve their position as third, but they certainly weren't going to be overtaken. Tobias Matson decided to go kind of pretty full ball, really, with a strong side, given that uh, he felt... He needed that kind of game before they go on and take Saracens at the Stonex. Do you think they just put that one to one side? There was some cracking try score, by the way. Um, how do you see Quinns going into the semi-final? It was a good game replay of last year's final, which is obviously pretty traumatic as well. Quinns, we're, we're talking about the Gloucester-Sarries game. Uh, Quinns and Sarries have taken totally different approaches ahead of this week's playoff. Sarries rested everyone. I think we're probably expecting... At least 14, maybe 15 changes from them going into this Quinns game, whereas Quinns, as you say, put out the big guns that all the England players were playing. I don't think that defeat will mean a great deal to them. I think that was part of the problem with this weekend, actually, that not that many games really mattered or affected the position in the table because there's no relegation this year. Yeah, I don't think it'll have too much bearing on next weekend's playoff, but that is such a hard task for Quinns going up to Saris. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, Jack, we, we won't. You mentioned Wass and, and your frustrations. Just 
maybe as you were the last team to play against Leicester, give us a perspective on Leicester Tigers. I think they've completed a clean sweep of home victories at Mattioli Welford Road. And, you know, they've been pretty impressive this year. As an opponent of theirs, where do you see the main improvements in their game? I think they've gone back to the sort of traditional uh, mindset of Leicester Tigers up front. I think set piece was, was a massive focus for them. I think going into the weekend before they played us, they'd scored 16 more tries this season which is which is pretty impressive it sets a real tone going into games they've got a decent scrum but I think for us we knew if we could match them there in that area and try and dominate up there then what do they go to next was our challenge that we sort of set as a group but they kick a hell of a lot I think they kick more than anyone else in the league and they're good at it they've got some great kickers in George Ford Ben Youngs Wigglesworth Van Poorfleet as well and I think they've got some great guys in the air with the likes of Freddie Stewart going after it and that certainly felt like the way they wanted to play against us was send it up into the sky with two or three of them charging after it and put as much pressure on our back three as possible with the fans at Welford Road adding to that with making a bit of noise and yeah it's going to be a challenge for Northampton to go there and come away with it but they play very different brands of rugby so sometimes a bit like with that Saracens and Quinns match it'll be one to watch for sure. And Will, the, the whole thorny issue of relegation or lack of it has been on the agenda all season. I mean, I looked at the table before kickoff of all the games. They all kicked off at the same time and you were sort of thinking, wow, can you imagine if there was a bit of relegation jeopardy here? I mean, you, don't, you wouldn't wish relegation on any club, but I mean, obviously Worcester, Bath and Newcastle were all in the mix. What was quite funny is I was sat in the studio thinking Worcester were about to do a lap of honour at the end of the game to show off their Premiership Cup trophy, but they could actually finish bottom of the table. I mean, is that allowed these days to do a lap of honour with a trophy um, if you finish bottom? That, that feels a bit strange. And I guess for Bath, I mean, they'd just be delighted that the season's over. Absolutely. I think Saturday was the 14th time in 30 games this season that they've conceded more than 40 points, which is incredible. And they were in a good position in that game. I know they're away from home, but they were, I think they're 10 points up with half an hour to go and they ended up losing by 16 points. There's obviously been some pretty well-documented things going on behind the scenes and they've got new coaching setup coming in, rearranged things. But yeah, you look at the side and you look at the, the England training squad that Eddie Jones named today, which obviously included Jack, but, and I know it doesn't contain any players from the top four, but there's so many Bath players in there. There's so much talent at the club. I mean, I struggle with that. I can't understand how you can get into an England squad if your team's losing every week. It doesn't really work for me. I mean, uh, you know, you're arriving into training camp with a losing mindset. So your job as an England coach is to really turn that around. But hey-ho, that's just my point of view. I don't mind one or two, but if you're down the bottom of the table, you're doing something outstandingly well to be included in an England squad, that's for sure. Yeah, and just as I say, the sheer number of them who made it, it must be an indication that there's a lot of talent at the club and I think there's a lot of young backs that we, we're kind of learning a lot more about each week and they, they seem like really good players. So the, the only way is up, literally, yeah. but the, the season, as you said, at the end of it couldn't come soon. Though. Well, it'd be fascinating, obviously, Steve Diamond taking over at Worcester, Dean Richards stepping down at, at Newcastle, allowing... Dave Walder to take centre stage and Van Graham coming over from Munster. I wonder how much Bath fans are looking forward to the style of rugby that they're going to play with those outstanding players. But we'll discuss that another time. Outstanding with Fuller's London Pride. It's time for our outstanding section where we ask all of our panel to decide who they think was the outstanding player of the weekend or personality or coach or character. It doesn't have to be a player. Uh, like an outstanding pint of London pride. Ed, we'll start with you as our guest. Is it a Gloucester player? 
It is a Gloucester player. It's quite a hard one because there's about three of them I could have picked. But I'm going to go with the choice of the Gloucester fans on the day. And that's Santi Carreras, a fullback. He's been superb all season. And I thought his performance on Saturday is probably his best performance in a Gloucester shirt. Uh, he was just everywhere. And the work that Santi Carreras does in making the tackle, getting up, stripping the ball, then offloading. I mean, he's just a brilliant, brilliant player. And did you play in the forwards or the backs yourself? My uh, oh, definitely the back, yeah. yeah. A, winger, a failed winger broke, broken spectacularly in a charity game. So I could sense that there was no bias, of course, in that selection, but very well deserved. Uh, Jack, I, mean, I guess you'll put a big hand up for Jimmy Goputh, signalling the end of his long and illustrious spell at Wasps. And ironically being handed over to Leicester Tigers as their player coach. Yeah, it's going to be a real shame to see guys like that leave. Jimmy is an absolute legend of a bloke. We all know what he offers on the field, but I think a lot of it is not seen behind the scenes. He's just a top guy, ultra positive, brings so much energy. And I just don't know how he's still trucking around at the age he is. But I think, yeah, it's only an aspiration for all of us as younger players to do what he's done, that's for sure. And have you picked out anyone other than Jimmy that I sort of uh, false fed you there or? Really- <laughs> uh, I, th- I think for me, watching the bits and bobs from the weekend, I think going into the, the semi-finals, uh, Rory Hutchinson is going to be key for Northampton. He's so elusive and is instrumental in their attack. And I think if they're going to stand a chance against Tigers, he's going to be a big part of that. And I think he did, did well at the weekend. It'll be exciting to see how he goes. I am going to sort of have a, a break from tradition and not necessarily pick a player outright, but I think we need to raise a glass of pride to Dean Richards, who brought the curtain down on on a very long, illustrious, successful, sometimes controversial premiership career as a DOR, having been a player at Leicester, an iconic player who smashed me in the face and broke my nose in the first game I ever played at Welford Road <laughs> when, I, when I was caught ball watching at a line-out and um, taught me a lot really about rugby and then bought me a pint afterwards and I was playing for England about a year later with it. So uh, anyway, uh, and then went on to be very successful as a coach for Leicester Tigers and then of course at Harlequins, latterly at Newcastle and it's sort of end of an era really. So I think a raise a glass to him uh, as the outstanding personality across the weekend and a little word from poor old hooker McGuigan at Newcastle who um, was doing one for the forwards there and was in line to be the uh, top try scorer I think he scored 15 tries which is a phenomenal effort for a hooker given that Newcastle have only won six games and then to have had the penalty try not awarded to him it was a penalty try and he was substituted and blame my who goes on who plays in his position scores the try and then he watches Max Malins overtake him so I think he deserves a little glass as being outstanding so uh, well done to Dean Richards and to Newcastle Will I'm going to stick with the kind of lifetime achievement theme uh, we've got a couple of England back row forwards who could play six seven or eight on the pod Tom Wood was another of them he didn't play at the weekend obviously but he's retiring from Northampton duty he's been an unbelievable servant for them he's a very good player for England won 50 caps captained England and just I always found him one of the best players to talk to he's always got something interesting to say gave a couple of good interviews last week so my outstanding player this week is Tom Wood they are all outstanding players and we should raise a pint of pride to them all. Ed, it's time now for a bit more of your podcast. Cherry Jam, I'm always fascinated to know why you guys get into it as a sort of uh, a little hobby, I suppose. Probably like I got into rugby, really. You just sort of turn up and think, oh, this is quite good fun. It's hosted by yourself and four other Gloucester's fans. Uh, so give us a bit of an insight. When did you start making it? 
And I guess rather than, you know, chat to Jack Willis and myself and Will, what's been the highlight on your own particular pod? Well, I was going to say, this is a, a particular highlight for me. Yeah, two years ago, I was on furlough, like so many others. At that exact moment, we'd lost our head coach, our director of rugby. Loads of players were leaving. And I suggested to the other lads, uh, my mates, should we collectivise our pain and sort of talk about this and see if people are interested? And surprising to everyone that we get, you know, a couple of hundred people, 300 people listening a week, which is far exceeding what we thought we would get. And it kind of started from there, really. I mean, the, the majority of the first part of the pod, I often be honest, is for the first year was the most depressing listen in rugby history. It really was. You might, I kind of mentioned it earlier, and bless him, George Givington and, and Don Waldock, they, crikey, they got some stick. But what's been really, really good is you could hear it as the games have started turning into wins, our numbers start to increase. It's amazing people like to listen to positive stuff rather than five blokes moaning. And, you know, we've had some great things. I managed to talk to Mike Tinder you know who you'll know very well uh, Lawrence his stock rises every week doesn't it with the, with the royal family I'll he tell could, you what he could, be, he could be king quite soon uh, I mean yeah he's got the vote in Gloucester and then I managed to again another positive this year was got to talk to Jamal Ford Robinson who is just a, a lovely guy and a real character and a, a big cult hero at, at Gloucester but I think uh, I can't really underplay this the best moment of the pod so far was the weekend recording after the uh, 64-0 against Bath that was by far the most positive podcast recording and it's been generally a really lovely experience and I've been a season ticket holder for 26 27 years now I meet people we talk about the pod and they oh you that's you is it um there's normally a bit of uh, abuse directed my way and then just talk about rugby and it's great and who would be your dream guest the one that we all would love to chat to uh, because it, he was the player of our generation watching was James Simpson Daniel he's for me the greatest player to ever play in cherry and white oh, no don't mention he turned me inside out six times well yeah I mean I wasn't going to mention it but I wasn't there that day I was at university I was watching in a pub in Swansea scream my head off I was properly rinsed whenever they ask for the premiership try of the season that one always comes up and then I have to sort of you know show them a picture of me picking up the trophy seven days later I said to Simbad if you can't rinse a 35 year old who's had two ACL reconstructions mate you've got no chance have you really so well well done to him but listen it was brilliant we wish you all the very best with the pod it's a great listen and uh, Cherry Jam I like the name of that got some legs to it I think Ed so uh, and if you ever want any outside perspective please feel free and I'm actually a guest on James Haskell Mike Tyndall's pod uh, this weekend and uh, I said to Hask I said Hask you know the idea of a pod is that you, if you invite guests on you have to let them talk um, so <laughs> <laughs> I think he's still working on that by the way Over the line or in the bin with Fuller's London Pride the official beer of Premiership Rugby we're going to go to our very creative quiz that we have. It's only one question <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's trivia time. And Will, it's over to you. Thanks, Lawrence. Uh, for Ed and Jack's benefit, basically each week I give Lawrence and his guests a piece of rugby related trivia and, and you simply have to decide if you think it's true and therefore over the line or false, therefore in the bin. Uh, this week, we've got a bit of a step back in time, but it, it is WASPs related. The RFU was founded in 1871. However, WASPs were not one of the original 21 clubs. And this is because the club's delegate attended the wrong pub and missed the meeting. Is this over the line or true or in the bin and false? Ed, as you're a non-WASPs representative, so I'll come to you first. What do you reckon, over the line or in the bin? I'm sure that there's definitely a story out there about one club missing. I've got a feeling it is WASPs. So I'm going to say it's over the line. Jack, what do you reckon? 
I agree with. I'm trying to do the, the maths quickly because we had our 150th anniversary. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not that good at maths, but I'm going to say over the line as well. I think it lines up. Uh, and and I think that I will concur with that. I think there. I think. I think was the only club. I think there might have been one other, but it doesn't surprise you, does it? I mean, you know, we've we've no idea what we're doing. No training ground. No no stadium. <laughs> you know, where where do we turn up? Oh, let's just go to the pub. I mean, it is. It's very in keeping with wasps. So I think I'm going to go will over the line. You are all correct. It is over the line. The meeting was held at the Palmyle restaurant in London and allegedly the WASP representative went to the wrong venue. And by the time he realised his mistake, he was too drunk to make his way to the correct place. <laughs> I'm not sure if this might explain anything that's happened since in the game of rugby, but, but there yeah. you go. Yeah, well, there you go. It's probably taken that long for the RFU to come up with a decision, to be fair. But uh, <laughs> Uh, listen, we are uh, very grateful for that wonderful piece of rugby trivia. Uh, treasure that, everyone. Um, we're going to go draw the curtain down on our semi-final preview. Only two more weeks of the Gallagher Premiership season left. Of course, the playoffs and the final. Let's take a look ahead to next weekend's Premiership semi-finals. I mean, it's actually thrown up two quite contrasting games, interesting games, two derbies, and Northampton will be heading to Leicester for a East Midlands derby, uh, and Quinn's obviously facing Saracens at the Stonex in a London derby, so some nice parallels there. I listened to an interview from Chris Boyd in Northampton. They play a very positive brand of rugby, as Jack's already alluded to, very different in style um, in terms, you know, not necessarily in effectiveness, but uh, the two times that they've tried to go to Welford Road this season, they've been well beaten. There's always a view, and, I'm, and I don't mean this brutally to Saints fans, but they play the, some of the best rugby in the Premiership. You know, ball in hand, they are superb. But there's always a feeling, if you're playing against them, that you would say there's a bit of a soft underbelly there. And if you can get stuck into their tight five and you can really be physical, in the same way as probably Leicester tried to be against Wasp, but were, were matched, I think that, you know, they've come unstuck. And it's all very well having, you know, really good players 9 to 15. But if you get bashed up up front, you know, you're not going to win the game. So, Ed, as a neutral, I'll let you impart your view on that because you see Leicester and Northampton. Uh, Chris Boyd basically said, reminded his players that they need to front up. Otherwise, we're not going to win. Would, would you concur with that? And can you give them a chance of winning? Because they are a very skillful side. But then again, Leicester have unbeaten at home all season. Yeah, I can certainly see Northampton getting a win, but I think Leicester would have to drop off their standard performance for that to happen. I mean, Leicester are the only team really, I think probably other than, to be fair, Exeter, in the, in the league I'm talking, Exeter and Wasps, who kind of really bullied Gloucester this season. And Northampton, I felt when we played them in the league and we played them in the Challenge Cup, you mentioned there about the soft underbelly. Gloucester did get into them pretty quickly and, and put them under pressure. If Northampton can be in and about the game in sort of 65 minutes, I'd give them a chance because against Saracens, they tore them apart the last five, 10 minutes just to get some bonus points, which pretty much kept them in the top four. I think it's really dependent. If Leicester can open up a lead like eight, nine, 10 points into the last 10, 15 minutes, I think that's it. I do, yeah, I agree with that. I just think, I mean, I don't know where the players look at this anymore, but or coaches, but whenever, I mean, Leicester are back to their best or certainly close to their best. And when the Welford Road is packed, and you've got a referee who's refereeing there. You've got to be very clear about the way you're going to play the game because, you know, I spent a long time, with, along with Alex King and a number of other people, analysing why we never used to get results up at Welford Road. You've got to play, that, particularly in the second half, with 24,000 people screaming. You know, all the decisions go with the home team. I'm telling you that for a fact. And you have to make sure you play in the right areas of the field. And we had a lot of success against Leicester as a Wasp player in Premiership finals. But you know what? We kicked the ball more against Leicester than we did against any other team. Because if you get caught in the wrong areas of the field, you just get hammered at the breakdown. You get hammered by the referee. 
Northampton can win, but if they go there with their game that they've currently got and they don't kick the ball, they're not going to win. You know, they're going to get bashed up. So that would be my my very uh, very insightful uh, you know delivery of what might happen. Let's go to this to the other game. Will you're probably brave enough to make a call? It's going to be tough. Saracens look very strong. Obviously, Quinns have got a number of stars in their side, some brilliant young players, but Saracens seem to have an answer for everything this season. Yeah, you're right. This is also, it's worth noting, this is a proper grudge match now. I mean, I think it's Quinns and Exeter really hung on to what went on with Saracens a couple of years ago. They're the two teams you still hear talking about it. I don't think Saris, I don't think they've got the depth and I think we saw that a little bit on Saturday. I don't think they've got the, the pure depth that they had before everything that went on with the relegation. But they're still, that 15, that 20 is still formidable. I, I see both games as a little bit, to be really simplistic, roundhead Cavalier this weekend. And I, as much as I'd love the Cavaliers to win, I, I think both sets of roundheads are going to win. Leicester, a first team to be top of the table from the start to the finish of a premiership season, which is amazing when you consider the, the league is longer now than it was. And Saracens, although I think Quinns are a better side than when they won it a year ago, I think... Saracens are just going to be too strong for them. And Jack, give us a player's perspective because you played in big games. If you're playing against any side in a big knockout game at home, it doesn't matter who they are, you'll respect them clearly, but you do expect to win those games, don't you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think Saracens at the Stonex are, are a big challenge. They'll always be tough to play against there. They're tough to play against anywhere. And I think they've got as you said there, Will, there's a lot of changes amongst their squad, but they've still got a strong 15 and into the 23 that have got a lot of experience in these big games. They've played a lot of these big games, um, had these big moments, experienced it before. Yes, Harlequins obviously have played in a couple in recent years for sure, but I, I do think it'll be hard to look past Saracens at the weekend. And in, in my opinion, probably sort of going all the way. Well, well done. No one's really sat on the fence there. Unlike Ugo, who was couldn't come up with the right answer <laughs> that, uh, when, when pressed. He said Northampton definitely off air. And as soon as he went on air, he said, no, Leicester will definitely win. So uh, well done for not sitting on the fence. That's all for this episode of the Rugby Podcast. I just want to say an enormous thanks to Jack, to Ed, to Will, Jack, all the the very best for the week ahead with England. I'll be back next week with a special episode looking forward to the Premiership final and I hope you'll join me then. Lawrence Delalio's Rugby Podcast supported by Fuller's London Pride, the official beer of Premiership Rugby. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.